0: Fed Chairman Jerome Powell and Federal Reserve commentary triggers a sell-off on Wall Street. Boeing post another quarterly loss. We go over the biggest analyst calls of the day. Tesla beats expectations and Intel delivers some solid numbers. This is the running with the money briefing. Let's get into it. What is up and welcome to another episode of The Running With The Money Briefing powered by Pound on the Table. Either way, we are back. I'm your host, Luke Deney, and my, oh my, the markets today, well, all over the place. And that was to be expected. At the end of the day, we knew there would be a lot of volatility today given the Federal Reserve results. So we're going to get into those in a minute, but I do want to know at where the indexes did end the day. We had the Dow Jones finishing the day down 129, NASDAQ up 2.8. And the SP 500 up 6.5. So, uh, definitely not a terrible day in the markets, but at the end of the day, we did see quite a bit of selling off of the highs. So, that is something to note. Now, group by group, sector by sector, where did we see the outperformance? Well, energy, technology, financials, those three sectors moved to the upside. Meanwhile, every other sector. Within the market moving to the downside, the number one hardest hit sector of the day, real estate down 1.46%. So, some very interesting action within the markets. Now, shifting into, of course, the biggest headline of the day, the biggest topic of the day, and that is the Federal Reserve. Now, what in the world is going on with the Federal Reserve? Well, what we really got out of the Federal Reserve today was a bunch of nothing, but we did get something, if that makes any sense. So when it comes to rate hikes, we really didn't get much. In fact, the Federal Reserve left interest rates unchanged, but did say here at the next meeting that they are expecting a rate hike and they're expected to kick off um their sessions of rate hikes, so multiple rate hikes uh, throughout the year. We also, in a separate statement released today, just after the initial Fed release, we got um, basically commentary on balance sheet reduction, and the Federal Reserve did say that they are expecting to reduce the size of the Federal Reserve's balance sheet here after the process of increasing interest rate commences. So we're going to read through some of this commentary and see what they say, and we're going to lead off with the topic of interest rates and the overall statement. So the statement directly out of the Fed said, "On quote, with inflation well above 2% and a strong labor market, the committee expects it will soon be appropriate to raise the target range of the federal funds rate, in essence saying that they are probably going to start raising interest rates here at the next meeting or at one of the next meetings likely in March. Now, shifting into what in the world they had to say about reduction in this separate statement, they go on to say, unquote, the committee expects that reducing the size of the Federal Reserve's balance sheet will commence after the process of increasing the target range of the federal funds rate has begun. So, in essence, what we are getting there is the Federal Reserve saying, look, we are likely going to start reducing the size of our balance sheet shortly after we start raising interest rates or at some point after we start raising interest rates, and that is something to know. So you have a lot going on here, and really what we have going on is the Federal Reserve saying, look, rates are going up, and that's going to be our focus, but after we start raising rates, we're going to start reducing the size of our balance sheet as well. And they let the market know that today, but they let the market know... Um, With a lot of question marks. They didn't say it directly. They said it very indirectly. They weren't very direct with the market when it came to their exact plan. In fact, they weren't direct whatsoever. It was pretty muddy. They didn't really come out on their statement and actually say anything in the original statement about reduction. It was very much indirect. It was very much, yeah, we're planning on doing this, but if this comes up or if this comes up, well, maybe we won't do that. So, Still a lot of question marks surrounding this, but if they do indeed in March start raising rates, what we are going to see is the first rate hikes or the first uh, increases in interest rates that we have seen in more than three years, which is likely going to be significant. Now, shifting into commentary out of Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell, and this is really where the market started to move to the downside, Um, and that, that's a completely honest answer there. If you take a look at the timeline of all this, the market's actual initial reaction to the Fed's statement in news Was actually very positive, and then uh, as we got into Jerome Powell's commentary, um, it started to move to the downside significantly, and ended the day selling off. So talking about Mr. Jerome Powell here, he did highlight uh, rising wages as being an issue. He went on to say, "Quote: Wages have also risen briskly, and we are attentive to the risks that persistent real wage growth in excess of productivity." Could put upward pressure on inflation. So basically what he's saying there is that, look, uh, rising wages, that's good in some cases, but if they go way too far, we are going to see that contribute significantly to inflation and we don't want to see that. Now, he also went on to talk about price stability and he said that a key point for the Federal Reserve is keeping price stability, maintaining that price stability. He goes on to say, quote, we're committed to our price stability goals. We will use our tools both to support the economy and a strong labor market and to prevent higher inflation from becoming entrenched, so he's basically saying there that look, we do not want to see higher inflation become permanent. We do not want to see permanent elevated inflation, and we are going to use our basket of tools—interest rates, balance sheet reduction, etc. We are going to use those tools to stop inflation. I um, mean, that is very much a non-sugar-coated way that I just summarized exactly what he's saying there. Now, shifting into the labor market, and he talked about the labor market, and you actually saw yields move way up when he started talking about uh, the labor market. He goes on to say, quote, I think there's quite a bit of room to raise interest rates without threatening the labor market. So, in essence, what he's saying there is, look, guys, the labor market is strong. It's giving us signals that that it's strong. It's strengthening, and therefore... I believe the federal reserve believes that we can raise interest rates and start to push back this inflation without really harming the labor market whatsoever. So he seems to believe that the labor market is very strong and can withstand uh, some rate hikes. Now, he then went on to tell reporters that the economy was strong. So then he went from the labor market to saying, look, guys, the economy is also very strong. In fact, he goes on to say, quote, in light of the remarkable progress we've seen in the labor market and inflation that is well above our 2% long run goal, the economy no longer needs sustained high levels of monetary policy support. So what he is referring to there is all of this liquidity, all of this, uh, in essence, stimulus that the Federal Reserve has been injecting in this market through those asset purchases that everyone has been talking about that were once at one point over $120 billion. Um, So that is also something to know. He's saying here, look, we're going to bring this taper in and we're going to stop adding, uh, in essence, stimulus to this market. We're going to get rid of stimulus. The markets don't need it. um, And the economy certainly doesn't need it because it is so strong. And then finally, what we had was, in essence, more commentary out of Fed Chair Jerome Powell on what in the world they're thinking on balance sheet reduction, which is a major topic for the markets. It's one of the huge focal points for the markets when it comes to the Federal Reserve. And really, what he went on to say is exactly this. I quote, the balance sheet is sustainably larger than it needs to be, substantially larger than it needs to be. There's a substantial amount of shrinkage in the balance sheet to be done. That's going to take some time. We want that process to be orderly and predictable. So, exactly what he is saying there and you actually saw the market accelerate to the downside here is that look our balance sheet it has gotten outsized it's too big and it needs to come down but we're going to reduce our balance sheet in a very orderly way we're not just going to surprise you one day with a whole bunch of changes no we're going to come in and we're going to do it very orderly we're going to be very predictive and we're going to be straightforward about this so the market wasn't liking the aspect to that out of the separate statement on balance sheet reduction they basically said it's going to come sometime after we start raising interest rates and then Jerome Powell in a sense doubled down on the balance sheet reduction in his statement and presser after saying yeah it's going to happen our balance sheet's way too big and we want to get uh, this sucker reduced a bit so it's all something to pay attention to. It's all something uh, to definitely take note of. And when you hear those comments, it definitely does not sound great, um, at least for those who believe that the market is going to all of a sudden turn around and bottom out. That's likely not going to happen. Now, shifting away from the Federal Reserve, the biggest headline of the day, we're going to shift into actually some earnings results that we got out of Boeing this morning. Now, Boeing, it disappointed investors significantly. We saw an earnings per share or an adjusted earnings per share it was actually a loss of seven dollars and 69 cents per share and that was way more than the expected loss of 42 cents per share now they also delivered quarterly revenue of 14.79 billion dollars and that is below the expectation the estimate of 16.59 billion dollars so definitely not impressive there and it you know also represented a decline in sales of three percent year over year so overall, they saw a decline in sales year-over-year of 3%. They missed the expectations on revenue and they missed the expectation on earnings. Now, that brings their total loss for last year, the $4.29 billion. That's their third annual loss in a row. Definitely not good. And they attributed it to production issues, of course, issues when it comes to getting their aircraft approved and also the COVID-19 pandemic. So there's a lot of things working towards this sizable loss, but we do have to note, that this loss is a massive improvement off of that 2020 loss of $11.94 billion. So while the loss doesn't look great, um, it was definitely better than the previous two years' losses. Now, you take a look at the fourth quarter directly, and Boeing reported a net loss of $4.16 billion. That is less than half of the $8.44 billion they lost a year earlier, same time. So, an improvement when it comes to loss, once again, on a quarterly basis. And also, what we saw was Boeing reporting a free cash flow of $494 million in Q4. And that was actually way up from the outflow of $4.27 billion we saw a year ago, same time last year. So, an improvement there. But they did say that they did not believe we were going to hit this free cash flow level um, until later this year in 2022. They didn't even think they would hit it uh, this year. But Luckily, they did. So, that's a net positive. Now, it is also something to pay attention to here. When you take a look at what those losses were driven by this quarter in this year, and in essence, what Boeing said was that uh, these losses, they were driven by some delivery issues also earlier um, last year with the 737 MAX, of course. And now, they're starting to run into some issues with some other aircrafts. In fact, they said that... They unfortunately took a $3.5 billion pre-tax charge in Q4 on their Dreamliner and that they expect $2 billion in additional cost after they slashed production of the planes, which is double their previous estimate. So overall, Boeing continuing to incur a lot of losses, whether that's on the production front, whether that's on the COVID front, whether that's on um, whatever front it's on, they continue to incur a lot of losses that are affecting earnings. But if you look at the trends of those losses, the losses continue to get um, roughly smaller and smaller over the course of the past few years. Now, we did get commentary, and I want to round out this earnings report with that commentary. We did get commentary at a Boeing CEO. He went on to say, quote, 2021 was a key rebuilding year for us, and together we overcame significant hurdles, Calhoun said. He goes on to say, While we have more work to do, I am confident that we are well-positioned to accelerate our progress in 2022 and beyond. So... Management over at Boeing still confident that they can continue the comeback. They can continue their underdog momentum, but they definitely have a lot of work to do still, and they definitely disappointed investors today. Now shifting into the biggest analyst calls of the day, I want to talk about McQuire upgrading Penn to outperform from neutral. The firm went on to say, "Quote shares underperformed the gaming group in 2021." We attribute the underperformance to lower market share in online markets, tough 2022 gaming comps and questions around the founder of Barstool, Dave Portnoy and alleged incidents that happened in the past. So a lot has been going on surrounding Penn National, a lot. From the uh, basically uh, major headlines that came out about Barstool's founder, Dave Portnoy, uh, that definitely was not great news on that front. They've had some earnings issues. So this stock saw a tremendous run over the previous few years here to the upside. And then all of a sudden it came crashing down on a lot of negative news all at once. But McQuire upgrading the name to outperform from neutral, basically saying, look, the sell-off we believe it has gone a bit too far. We also had Morgan Stanley upgrading DraftKings to overweight from equal weight today. Morgan Stanley went on to say, quote, New York results on Friday remind us that the U.S. sports betting iGaming market is likely to be very large. With only a handful of market share winners, we expect DKNG to be one of them. It was sentiment at an all-time low on near-term loss concerns, we see now as a good time to invest for the long term in essence Morgan Stanley saying look we like the results on in New York when it came to sports betting on Friday and we like even more the fact that DraftKings well it's way down when it comes to their stock price the sell-off has gone too far and we believe it's a good time to pick some up for the long term now shifting into this call out of Baird reiterating Peloton is outperform a name that personally I will say I don't like so if I sound a bit hasty in this call I will, uh, I, I have to note it, but we are going to talk about Peloton as unbiased as possible. Baird goes on to say, quote, despite a potentially sizable cut to full year 2022 earnings guidance and ongoing balance sheet constraints, we see substantially higher potential value for the subscription business, assuming management can reinforce confidence in Peloton's ability to transition to a balanced profitable growth model. So, Baird, Somehow still confident in management, but we're going to move away from that call. I'm reiterating the name as Outperform. And if you're interested in this call more and more, you can find about a dozen articles on it. Also, if you simply type in Baird reiterates Peloton as Outperform within your Google search bar. But shifting into MKM naming meta platforms, a top pick for 2022. What did they have to say? Well, MKM went on the say, quote, while Meta Platforms faces marginally tougher comps in the first half of 2022, we believe upcoming segment disclosure, greater discipline on metaverse-related investments, potential iOS-related tailwinds, and continued shareholder-friendly behavior are near-term catalysts. MetaPlatforms, otherwise known as Facebook, remains the most reasonably valued tech mega cap and thus an investor sentiment favoring value over growth could lead to stronger outperformance in the first half of 2022. So in essence, what MKM is saying here is, look, yeah, there is a lot going on surrounding Facebook or meta platforms as they currently go by. There's a lot going on surrounding this name on the catalyst front. There's negatives and positives. But at the same time, this name fundamentally is a very strong business still. And investors should start to see this as more of a value play than a growth play, given the uh, valuation that it is trading at compared to the other FANG names, the other mega cap names. Uh, So an interesting call of MKM on Facebook, otherwise known as Meta Platforms. Now, we also had Goldman Sachs reiterating Coinbase as a buy. The firm went on to say, quote, despite the recent crypto market volatility, remain." rated on Coinbase. We continue to see multiple sources of optionality over the next year that could diversify the company's revenue streams. So Goldman Sachs liking Coinbase, continuing to like the cryptocurrency world and believe that this is an opportunity to pick some up. Now, Piper Sandler reiterated Microsoft is overweight today. The firm went on to say, quote, the first half operating margin of 44% reinforces our view that a cloud transformation has not only strengthened the Microsoft's growth prospects, but also enhanced profitability. So, Piper Sandler liking what they see at Microsoft, liking possibly enhanced profitability, um, and definitely liking the name. Now, we also had Saskantia initiating coverage of Plug Power as positive today. They go on to say, quote, We are initiating coverage of Plug Power with a positive rating and $26 price target. Plug is pursuing a vertically integrated strategy across the entire hydrogen ecosystem. So the firm is liking what Plug Power is doing, liking what they're trying to do with this integrated strategy across the entire hydrogen ecosystem, and therefore given a $26 price target and a positive rating. Now, two final analyst calls on the day. Morgan Stanley reiterated General Electric as overweight. The firm went on to say, quote, shares traded down on a weak fourth quarter and mixed 2022 segment outlook despite slightly better free cash flow guidance. The path to $7 billion in 2023 looks conservative based on significant room for recovery in health care and aviation over the next two years. Morgan Stanley essentially saying, here's look, guys, management, They were hesitant management. They did not put everything on the line. They did not put huge goals out there. They were a bit conservative. And therefore, we believe that they are going to outperform over the coming months and that you can be buying them here on this earnings dip uh, that they did see. Now, we also have to talk about Bank of America, upgrading American Express to buy from overweight. Now, what did Bank of America have to say about American Express? They go on to say, quote, Yesterday, AXP reported strong fourth quarter results and more important Increased its long term revenue and EPS outlook. American Express now aims to deliver 10% plus revenue growth in mid teens EPS growth in a steady state economy versus high single digit revenue, low double digit EPS growth pre pandemic. So, Bank of America liking what they're seeing on the earnings front out of American Express upgrading this name to buy from neutral. Now, shifting into our two final headlines of the day, uh, these are some earnings results from the after hours, and we're going to start with Tesla. So Tesla came in with an earnings per share of $2.52, beating the expectation of $2.36, so a big-time beat when it came to EPS, and that is adjusted. We also had revenue coming in at $17.72 billion, beating the expectation of $16.57 billion that the analyst had estimated. Now, it is important to note revenue, it rose by 65% year over year in the quarter. Automotive revenue jumping to $15.97 billion. That's up 71% year over year. We also had energy generation and storage revenue coming in at $688 million. That was actually down 8% year over year. And that was also below the consensus of $815.1 million that the analysts had been expecting. And then finally, net income coming in at $2.32 billion. That was up some 760%, according to CNBC. We also saw that Tesla, um, they did say that their gross margin came in at 27.4%, and that is better or compared with the previous quarter's gross margin of 26.6%. So some solid stuff coming out of Tesla on the earnings front. We did. Get some commentary out of management. They go on to say, "Quotes: our own factories have been running low or below capacity for several quarters. The supply chain became the main limiting factor, which is likely to continue throughout 2022. So Tesla is saying here, look, we're running into supply chain issues. Um, and therefore, we might have some issues with some upcoming vehicles. We're just letting you know. In summary, that's what they're saying. And then finally, uh, Tesla did let investors know that they have now expanded their experimental driver assistance systems. uh, Their testing program for that is called FSD Beta to around or roughly 60,000 users in the United States. So some impressive stuff when it comes to their full self-driving beta. Now, rounding out the show, I'm going to talk about Intel earnings and then a move that actually just came out right as we're recording this um, about Mr. Bill Ackman and a position he took. Now, taking a look at these Intel numbers here that we also got just after the close, they delivered an EPS of $1.09 adjusted that is compared to 91 cents that was expected from analyst so they did beat analyst expectations but eps was still down from a year ago same time of a dollar 48 so we did see a decrease in eps year over year but it did beat the expectation at the same time We also saw revenue coming in at $19.5 billion adjusted, which is roughly uh, beating the expectation of $18.31 billion. So a beat when it came to revenue. Now on a GAAP basis, so it was non-GAAP total revenue in $19.5 billion, which is up 4% year over year. On a GAAP basis, it came in at $20.5 billion for the fourth quarter, up 3% year over year. So some solid revenue growth there. We also saw them set a full year GAAP Revenue record of $79 billion. Revenue up 1% year over year for the full year. So some impressive uh, gains here on the revenue front, at least for Intel. You know, 1% may not be impressive for a lot of companies, but for Intel, well, it's kind of impressive. Uh, That company has been struggling quite a bit. And then shifting into uh, cash from operations. Intel generated $30 billion in cash from operations and $11.3 billion in free cash flow in 2021. They also forecasted for the first quarter of 2022 revenue of roughly $18.3 billion and an EPS of 70 cents, non-GAAP EPS of 80 cents. So some solid numbers coming out of Intel. And finally, the company also announced that they will be increasing their dividend by 5%, which boosts their quarterly payout to 36.5 cents. So some big time stuff. Also, when it comes to that dividend being jacked up another 5%, why not? Now, we did get commentary out of Pat Gelsinger, Intel's CEO. He went on to say, quote, Q4 represented a great finish to a great year. We exceeded top-line quarterly guidance by over a billion dollars and delivered the best quarterly and full-year revenue in the company's History. So some big time numbers being pushed out of Intel as they are working on their comeback. Now I do want to uh, make a quick note here. We saw Bill Ackman make a significant purchase when it came to a name. Yes, a name called guess what? Netflix. He acquired Pershing Square. Acquired 3.1 million shares of Netflix, making them a top 20 holder of the company. Yes, that's right. They have acquired 3.1 million shares of Netflix stock making Pershing Square Tontine Holdings a top 20 holder of the company Mr. Bill Ackman making a significant move here on a growth name. Now In order to fund that purchase, I'm going to read a tweet, actually, from a good friend, fellow Twitter friend of mine, and a very, very smart person, at Special Situations News, Special Situations on Twitter. Go give this man a follow. He is extremely smart, but he did have a tweet uh, quoting, in essence, what Ackman did in order to fund his purchase of Netflix. And it says, quote, in order to fund the purchase of Netflix beginning on Friday and over the last few days, we unwound the substantial majority of our interest rate hedge, generating proceeds of $1.25 billion. Hedge has been reduced by 80%. So what did Mr. Bill Ackman do? In essence, what he did was he reduced one of his hedges. Um, his hedge here uh, was actually on their interest rate hedge. So he significantly reduced his interest rate hedge. And then on top of that, he turned around, took those funds, and bought 3.1 million shares of Netflix. Definitely a big move. From a big investor on the street, and you saw Netflix stock rise on this news. But that is the show. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Running with the Money briefing. We'll be back per usual tomorrow to we'll go over the biggest headlines of the day. In the meantime, go give my boys over at Pounding the Table a listen and a follow at Pounding the Table, anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcast and Spotify. And also, please go give me and my team a follow at Running with the Money on Instagram or Facebook or at Luke Donay on Twitter, Eastley Profit Trade On, and I will see you tomorrow.